Welcome back to another edition of Wrestling Highlights of the Week, where I give you the highlights of Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW, Impact Wrestling. And at the end of this program, before I leave off, after I get done giving the highlights for SmackDown, I want to talk about something that AEW does better than WWE does, which is storytelling, at least long-term storytelling, which AEW kind of highlighted this week at the end of their broadcast, well, the last segment of their broadcast. But without further ado, let's get on with the show. For Raw, it started off with Nikki Ash having an in-ring promo. Again, Nikki Ash, if you don't remember, she cashed in her Money in the Bank contract last week. It became Raw Women's Champion. So we have a new Raw Women's Champion, Nikki Ash, and she had her in-ring promo this week to start off Monday Night Raw. And the fans were chanting, you deserve it, to Nikki Ash, and just keep chanting that to her. And she was embracing the love and admiration from the fans, and she was giving out a heartwarming speech talking about how Anything in life, you can do it. You Just giving those uh, inspirational type of speeches to the audience until Charlotte Flair came out and she did what she was supposed to do. She is a complainer, and so she complained. She talked about how whenever she cashed, whenever Nikki Ash cashed in on her, she wasn't ready. She wasn't, she wasn't even up on her feet with the bell rings, which Charlotte Flair, I got to admit, she has a point because in past previous Money in the Bank's cash-ins, the recipients that are getting cashed in on at least have to be standing up, at least that. The only time they have never been standing up is whenever they are in a match, aka whenever Seth Rollins cashed in on, Raw, on Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania 31, and whenever Alexa Bliss cashed in on Nia Jax at Money in the Bank 2018. That is the only time whenever um, people weren't ready to actually be, people weren't ready for that cash-in, but nevertheless, usually you're supposed to have your the person that's being cashed in on, the champion's supposed to be able to stand up if you look at their opponent, at least if they're even dazed and however they are, they're supposed to be able to stand up and be notified that they're getting cashed in on, and then there you go. Charlotte complained about how she wasn't ready. She wasn't on her feet, but she said, nevertheless, hey, you're a champion, but you're not going to be champion for long because at SummerSlam, I'm going to win my back, my Raw Women's Championship and prove that your win over me was a fluke and that you're a fluke champion. As Charlotte was saying all this, Rhea Ripley's music hits and she comes down to the ring. Rhea Ripley comes down and says that she has a gripe with Charlotte and that Charlotte isn't going to be the one to, to beat Nikki Ash for the Raw Women's Championship. It's going to be me. So then they get into a big old shouting match between Rhea and Charlotte and then Nikki Ash has to impromptu say that you're both wrong. Who says that you're going to beat me to win the Raw Women's Championship? So she makes a proclamation that at SummerSlam she'll give both of them a chance to fight her at SummerSlam for the Raw Women's Championship. So they wanted to make it a triple threat match. Charlotte wasn't cool with this. She said, nah, 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 nah. I deserve my one-on-one championship opportunity. Until Adam Pearce and Sonya Deville comes out and they make the match official at SummerSlam. It will be Charlotte going against Rhea Ripley, going against the Raw Women's Champion Nikki Ash for the Raw Women's Championship in a triple threat match. Charlotte wasn't cool with this. Charlotte said, no, I'm not. Nope, nope, nope. I'm not cool with this. I'm not. I don't want it. I don't want it. But she wants to prove the opportunity that she can beat Nikki Ash and that Nikki Ash win last week was nothing but a fluke win. So she asked for a one-on-one match with Nikki, and she got that. So at the end of the Raw, you would get your main event, Nikki Ash going against Charlotte Flair in a non-title match. 
And before the, all three of the women left the ring, Charlotte blasted Rhea Ripley in the face with a big boot. And then she turned her attention to Nikki Ash. And those two were about to fight until Nikki Ash dodged out of the way. And Charlotte got thrown over the top rope by Nikki. And Nikki Ash was the last one standing in the ring. Now, after this happened, the next segment that we had was Damian Priest going against Sheamus for a championship contenders match, which in WWE's terms, they mean if you be the champion, you're next in line for a WWE whatever opportunity. So in the match, you had Damian Priest beating Sheamus whenever he hit the reckoning, which is another move variation of the crossroads, which Cody Rhodes uses in AEW. So he gets the pinfall on Sheamus, and now Damian Priest is next in line for a WWE United States Championship opportunity. After this match, we had a Raw Tag Team title match with AJ and Omos defeating the Viking Raiders to retain their Raw Tag Team Championships. The way it went down, Omos hit Eric with a double-handed chokeslam, and he tagged in AJ Styles to hit a springboard 450 splash on top of Eric to win and retain their Raw Tag Team title match. This match was a good tag team match. AJ Styles and Omos are really able to... They're starting to find their motion together. Even though AJ takes a lot of the damage in the match, he takes up a whole lot of the matchup because Omos is not a traditional wrestler. He's a big man. He's seven foot tall. Seven foot wrestlers can't really do much in the ring. They only are limited to a certain moveset. But Omos is getting better at that situation. He's getting better at being just the big man, the mountain that he is. And just being like the big heavy like bodyguard for AJ Styles whenever it's time and called for. So AJ, the whole story of the match was the Viking Raiders tried to eliminate Omos at every possibility they can. They tried to make sure Omos could not get tagged in. AJ Styles could not tag in Omos. That was the whole story of the match. In the end, as I read to you, Omos still got into the match and he was able to help AJ retain the Raw Tag Team titles. After this match, we had Drew McIntyre going against Veer, one half of the group, one half of the tag team, Indy Shear. But before the match happened, Veer, Jinder Mahal, and Jinder Mahal's lawyer comes down to the ring, and Jinder tells Drew that he's going to give Drew one more opportunity to apologize to both to both Jinder, Veer, and Shanky. Shanky, who isn't there, because last week, I forgot to mention the man's name, Shanky got beat down last week by Drew McIntyre, because Drew McIntyre wailed on him with like 34 shots. They played the footage and they counted along with it. And that was 34 shots that Drew McIntyre gave to Shanky last week with chair shots. Two chairs. He broke one chair completely off on Shanky. And then he grabbed another chair and started just wailing on him. And as I said last week, his back was all bruised up. So he wasn't here this week. So, Jinder gave Drew the opportunity to apologize to Shanky, Veer, and Jinder Mahal. And he had his lawyer there just in case that if Drew doesn't apologize, he's going to sue Drew McIntyre. Which, Drew said, you know what, I'm not apologizing for nothing. He can't wait to get his hands on Jinder Mahal. And he even had the crowd chant, uh, Drew's gonna kill you. Which basically is a ripoff of Joe's gonna kill you. But, I digress. Anyway, the match starts with Drew and Veer. It was a good match. They tried to showcase what Veer could do, but in the end, Drew McIntyre beats Drew. Well, Drew beats Veer by DQ, but then they have a commentary like a fuffle because they are... Okay, let me just break this down to you. 
Jinder Mahal has a steel chair and he's trying to distract the referee with it. And the referee's being distracted by Jinder Mahal and he ends up sliding the chair into Veer. Veer grabs the chair, Drew McIntyre hits Veer with a Claymore kick, but the chair is in front of Veer's face. So Drew hits the Claymore kick, which essentially kicks the chair into Veer's face. The referee calls a disqualification. And on commentary, they're saying that Veer wins the match by DQ, but on actual, whenever you get the announcement ranged out by the announcer, he says that Drew McIntyre has won the match by disqualification. This one was a question mark. I have it as Drew McIntyre winning the match by disqualification because the chair was used, but commentary did say that Veer did win the match because Drew kicked the chair into Veer's face. So that was a com- that was a big old, uh question mark on WWE's part of how they wanted to do that, but whatever the case may be, it's Monday Night Raw. After this, though, Drew McIntyre did get his hands on Jinder Mahal's lawyer, and he threw Jinder Mahal's lawyer into the ring, he punched him in the face, and then he gave him a Claymore kick while Jinder Mahal and Veer just stood on the apron, not apron, but entrance ramp, and just looked at it in shock, fear, and awe, which, again, is another thing that I personally don't like whenever you are two other men you could easily grab your guy out of the ring but you decide not to and you just leave your guy there I don't like that professional wrestling I understand it was like one big giant and there's like two other small dudes trying to grab their third guy out yeah you're gonna run because he's a giant of a man but Drew and Jinder are not that much different in size so Jinder could have walked in there and grabbed his lawyer out of the ring but that's just another thing that WWE likes to do that I personally just don't get after this, we had Tamina and Natalia beat Eva and Dewdrop by pinfall whenever Tamina superkicked Eva because Eva was distracted by a video played on the Titantron, which was Alexa's doll, Ellie, well, Lily, doing a parody of Eva's whole, like, video of whenever she was coming back to WWE. She did a whole parody, and she called it the Lily Lucian. And then whenever Eva turned around, she... Ate a super kick to the face by Tamina. Note in the match, interesting note, Natalia did kind of injured her foot a little bit in the match. She didn't break nothing. She kind of commented on Twitter that she didn't break anything, but you could, uh, she had to get helped out by a person from the medical staff and Tamina get up the ramp and backstage. So, Again, they haven't said that she broke anything yet. I just think that she fractured something or she kind of just tweaked something. So, yet again, they haven't said anything yet. I will keep you guys updated whenever next week's episode rolls around and they'll give us something about that. After this, we had Karrion Cross going against Keith Lee. And Karrion Cross beats Keith Lee whenever he hits him with a forearm behind the head and he locks in the cross jacket on Keith Lee. And people weren't happy about this on Twitter. I wasn't happy about, about this on Twitter. People weren't happy because, again, WWE put themselves in a lose-lose situation. Last week, you had Karrion Cross losing to Jeff Hardy, and last week, you had Keith Lee losing to Bobby Lashley, two guys that WWE should have high hopes on, which you would automatically think you will put them in some type of squash matches. Squash matches are whenever you just use a guy that's not meant to be highlighted at all against the guy that you're trying to highlight, and the guy that you're highlighting wins the match. You would think you would want to put 
those two men in squash matches. But no, WWE decides to put those two men in a match together against each other. And then you have the NXT champion, which you're trying to now rebuild after you had him lose last week to a guy that a lot of fans have a whole lot of respect and a whole lot of like urgency to that they can't wait to see what he does because he has a whole lot of potential that WWE is just squandering in Keith Lee. And now it makes it seem like you're just really not doing nothing with Keith Lee. You're just doing this for what reason? I have no idea why Vince is making Keith Lee lose, why he's having this big man, this guy that moves around quick. He's able to jump. He's able to jump over the top rope. He's able to do a moonsault. He's able to hit power moves. He's able to hit big strikes. He's a hybrid. He's able to do everything that you want him to do. But you have him lose to Karrion Cross, and again, I said it again. I said it on Twitter, and I'll say it here. I have no problem with Karrion Cross. I have a whole lot of respect for Karrion Cross, but this wasn't the match for it. If anything, my whole idea for the story was I thought they were going to have Karrion lose because, again, he did not come out with his manager, his valet, Scarlett, who helps adds a part to the presentation of Karrion Cross. Again, if you look at Karrion Cross from earlier this year, he had Scarlet with him, and their presentation was fire. If you look at last year, in the middle of the pandemic, in July, whenever he came into NXT, the pairing of him and Scarlet again, was fire. Their whole presentation was great, but he doesn't have Scarlet. I thought that they were going to make it seem that Karrion Cross on the main roster is a main mortal. He's a mere mortal, just like everybody else. He's not a monster. He's not a beast. Until we're going to add in the Scarlet effect, and then whenever Scarlet is around him on the main roster, he'll turn into that beast and that monster that we know he can be. But that's not what WWE seems to want to do. So they had Karrion Cross beat Keith Lee. After this, we had the match of the tag team match of Mansoor and Mustafa Ali beating T-Bar and Mace by pinfall whenever Mansoor rolled up Mace and got the 1-2-3. This is now um, leading down the path of Mansoor wanting Mustafa Ali to be his tag partner and they could be a great tag team. Mustafa is still isn't so on board with that idea yet, but with this win, he is going to at least have to think about him being in a tag team with Mansoor. After this, we got the in-ring promo of Lashley MVP, and their main point of this promo was that they're not going to even dignify Goldberg's challenge. Glad last week, Goldberg came to the ring, and he says that he's next to go against Lashley for the WWE Championship. This week, there was no Goldberg around. Lashley MVP both said they're not dignifying Goldberg's challenge. They're not even paying him no attention. Goldberg's old and washed up. He doesn't need to be in this situation. Lashley is above him. They're not going to even answer his challenge. And then there's whatever Cedric Alexander and both uh, Shelton Benjamin came out. Both members, for both guys, former members of The Hurt Business, which Lashley, MVP, Cedric, and Shelton were all in last year. Shelton and Cedric both have a bone to pick and say that they should be next in line to face Lashley for the WWE Championship. MVP yet again shrugged them off and said, you guys were a part of The Hurt Business, but you guys aren't up to that quality or standard to face Lashley for the WWE Championship. But Lashley cut off MVP and said, you know what, fine, let's give it to him. I want, I'll take on both of them at the exact same time. So then it turned into a handicap match where Lashley beats both Cedric and Shelton Benjamin whenever he hits Shelton with a spear, and then he 
hit Cedric with a Dominator, and he then he did the Roman Reigns, stacked them up on top of each other, and pinned them both. So he stacked them, and he pinned them, and it was a one, two, three, and Lashley won his handicap match. After this, we had Riddle going against John Morrison. And in the match, you had the sh typical shenanigans of The Miz spraying Riddle with water. But the thing that was uncommon about this, AJ Styles and Omos comes out to the ring. And they're out there to look at Riddle. Omos ends up grabbing Riddle's scooter and breaking the, like, the handle off of the scooter. And you hear Riddle yell at Omos saying, that was for Randy. And again, Riddle is still on this crusade to bring Randy back or from wherever he's at and try to prove that he is the best friend that Randy desperately needs at this point in time. Because Randy Orton is not known for having best friends. Just want to keep that in keynote here. Riddle gets distracted. He gets slammed to the mat by John Morrison. And John Morrison ends up hitting Riddle with a starship pain and gets to one, two, three. After the match, Riddle gets decimated by AJ Styles, he gets stomped on by AJ, and then AJ hits Riddle with the Styles Clash. All while this is happening, the fans are chanting for Orton, Orton, Orton to come out to the ring, hoping that Randy Orton will be there to try to save Matt Riddle, but there was no Randy Orton this night. So we'll see how this uh, leads to the next episode on Monday Night Raw next week. But I can kind of tell you right now, we're going to have a SummerSlam match of Riddle and Randy Orton going against AJ Styles and Omos for the Raw Tag Team titles. That's the way that I feel that they're going at this. But again, I could be wrong, but more or less, I'm right on this one. After this, we had the match of Reginald defeating R-Truth to retain his 24-7 championship match. Reginald was doing a whole lot of circus Olay type of stuff, flips and maneuvers and everything else to try to make sure that he wouldn't get touched. But in the end, he didn't get touched by nobody, and he ends up retaining his 24-7 championship match. It was just another, like, fun, like, let-up match. It was one of those, like, okay, we got time to still spare, so we'll throw this match in there to do something. After this, we had the main event of Charlotte Flair defeating Nikki Ash by pinfall whenever Nikki Ash went to the top rope and tried to do the exact same thing that she did last week do a crossbody off the top rope to pin Charlotte. But in this instance, she hits the crossbody, but Charlotte was able to float over and hold on to Nikki Ash while the referee was counting and got the pinfall. After the match, Nikki's all exhausted. Her chest is all red because Charlotte, during the match, was hitting her with the chop, so she kind of popped some blood vessels in, Char in uh, Nikki's chest. And Nikki tells Charlotte that next week she wants a rematch with Charlotte. Charlotte gives her the rematch, but whenever they shake hands, Charlotte pulls her in and forearms Nikki in the face. And that's how you lead off. That's how Raw ends, where Charlotte's standing on top of Nikki as Nikki's just down on the ground, down on her luck. After this, we have NXT. NXT opens up with a tag team match of Pete Dunne and Oni Lorcan defeating Tommaso Ciampa and Timothy Thatcher by pinfall whenever Pete Dunne hits Tommaso Ciampa with the bitter end. An interesting keynote of this match was Rich Holland comes back. Rich Holland last year was a guy that Pat McAvee recruited to try to go after the Undisputed Era. But during that mission, Rich Holland had a match with both Orny Lorcan and Danny Burch. And during that altercation, um, Rich Holland snapped 
I believe, something in his leg or, like, tore something in his leg, and then he was out for basically a whole entire year. So, he's back now, and the interesting part, he aligned himself with Pete Dunne and Orny Lorcan, the guy who helped snap off a piece or snap off or tear something in Rich Holland's leg, which is really, really interesting how NXT plays around with that because Triple H knows how to maneuver out of things with NXT wrestlers, especially on NXT television. But I want to see how he teaches up and make Rich Holland basically like deals with Orny Lurkin somewhere down the line because it has to happen. But anyway, Rich Holland headbutts. No, no, no. He forearms. Timothy Thatcher outside the ring, which left Tommaso Ciampa in the ring by himself, and that would made Tommaso get hit get hit with a bitter end by Pete Dunne. After the match, Rich Holland gets into the ring. He headbutts Tommaso Ciampa, and is now Pete Dunne and Orny Lorcan and Rich Holland standing over Ciampa and Thatcher. After this, we had the contract signing of Samoa Joe and William Regal. Samoa Joe tells Regal that he has to resign for being Regal's uh, security, or better known as his right-hand man, because he wants to go out the cross, go out the cross so much, and Regal obliges to it. He accepts Samojo's resignation, and he gave Samojo his opportunity to be back on the main roster, not the main roster, but as a active member of the NXT roster. And Samojo agrees to that. So at, and they also agree that. Samoa Joe will be able to go against Cross at the next NXT TakeOver event, NXT TakeOver 36, for the NXT Championship, and then you have Samoa Joe signing the contract for that. So now you have Samoa Joe going against Karrion Cross at NXT TakeOver 36 for the NXT title. This is going to be a great physical contest because Samoa Joe is a striker and he's able to submit people out, and Karrion Cross is a striker whenever he gets in the ring with strikers, and he's also known for power moves. Same thing Samoa Joe is basically known for, but Samoa Joe is just basically built in a different stature. This is a good match to get the people hyped up, to get people excited for one, to see Cross get his self choked out by Samoa Joe, and then two, for Samoa Joe just to get that rep underneath his belt to be back in the ring after he hasn't been back in the has been in the ring for so long. After this, we had the match of Carmelo Hayes beating Josh Briggs to advance in the NXT breakout tournament next, well, I'm not going to say next week, because next week we got Joe Gacy going against Trey Baxter to see who will be going against Odyssey Joan in the semifinale of the NXT breakout tournament, but this match was the match to see who will go against Duke Hudson in the semifinals of the NXT breakout tournament, and Carmelo Hayes beat Josh Briggs whenever he hit Josh Briggs with a diving leg drop behind Josh Briggs' head and got to one, two, three. So, next week will be Joe Gacy going against Trey Baxter. The winner of that match will be going against Odyssey Jones in a semifinals match for the NXT breakout tournament. After this, we had Raquel Gonzalez and Dakota Kai coming out for an in-ring promo. The main point of this was that Dakota and Raquel were saying that there was no woman left on the NXT roster to challenge Raquel Gonzalez for the NXT Women's Tag Women's Championship. Raquel was saying, well, Dakota was saying how by Raquel's side, nobody is going to face Raquel because there's nobody left. They named off the list. They named that Raquel beat Io Shirai, she beat Chassie Blackheart, she beat Ember Moon, she's beating 
all these women, she's beating Zia Lee, she's beating all these women all in the main, on the NXT roster, and that there's nobody left, literally, to challenge Raquel Gonzalez for the championship, and how, by her side, Raquel Gonzalez will always be NXT Women's Champion, that they are the most dominant unit in NXT, and that no woman is left to challenge her for it. Raquel Gonzalez goes to the top rope, she, like, takes off the belt, and she just, like, cheers, and, like, yeah, I'm the woman, nobody's left to challenge me, nobody is, there's nobody left. When she gets off the top rope, however, she eats a big running boot by her best friend, Dakota Kai. Dakota Kai lays out Raquel, and she grabs the NXT Women's Championship, and she lets Raquel know that she's next for that NXT Women's Championship. So we have a friend betrayal, like I said last week, and I've said the week before. They were planting seeds in NXT for Dakota Kai to turn on Raquel Gonzalez, and like I said before, NXT is good at long-term storytelling, but I'll save that for after the show. Um, Yes, Dakota Kai will be going against Raquel Gonzalez for the NXT Women's Championship, more or less at NXT TakeOver 36, but it hasn't been officially announced, but you can tell where this is headed. After this, we had the tag team match with Caden Carter and Casey Catanzaro going against Frankie Monet and Jesse Kamea. Caden Carter and Casey Catanzaro gets the win over Frankie Monet and Jesse Kamea uh, whenever Caden Carter and Casey Catanzaro hit their tag team finish of a neckbreaker and a 450 combination onto Frankie Monet. I thought that Frankie Monet wouldn't get the pinfall. I thought Frankie Monet wouldn't get pinned here because Frankie is on an undefeated streak in NXT, and now this is her first match loss under her belt. I thought Jesse would have because Jesse doesn't play a big factor in the whole presentation of Frankie Monet. But they wanted to make a point of having Frankie lose, and now Frankie Monet is one loss under her belt, and she didn't like losing, especially because Robert Stone was around that ringside and Robert Stone played a factor in her losing. He was trying to help out Frankie, but his helpfulness backfired and got Casey and Caden the win. After this, we had the tag team match of Imperiums, Marcel Bartel and Fabian Eichner going against Top Dalla and Ashanti, the Adonis of Hit Row. Hit Row was around the ring, and Hit Row was distracted by Legado del Fantasma coming down to the entrance ramp. This led to Imperium getting the tag team win whenever Marcella Bartel and Fabian Eichner hit their tag team combo onto Ashanti the Adonis, which is a powerbomb diving European uppercut combination. And once the pinfall happened, you had Legada del Fantasma all coming in the ring and jumping both Top Dollar and Ashanti the Adonis until Isaiah Scott came in with a steel chair to run off. Legato del Fantasma. So this is telling you that we're somewhere down the line we're going to get Isaiah Scott going against uh, Santos Escobar for the North American title. I Yet again, this is another match I suspect at NXT TakeOver 36. NXT has a great way of telling you exactly what you're going to get without officially telling you the match that you're going to get. But again, while I'll be waiting for them to actually announce the match of Santos going against Scott for the NXT North American title. After this, in the main event, we had Adam Cole going against Bronson Reed, and Adam Cole beats Bronson Reed by pinfall when he hit the last shot onto Bronson Reed. It was a good main event between the two men. After this, though, we had Kyle O'Reilly coming out from the entrance and hitting Adam Cole with a steel chair behind the back, and he just started putting the boots to Adam Cole. 
Kyle O'Reilly then takes one of the steel steps off the other steel steps and gave Adam Cole a receipt for brain hitting him with a brain buster on the steel steps. So Kyle O'Reilly did the exact same thing. He hit a brain buster on Adam Cole on the steel steps to end the show of NXT. So at the end of NXT, you had Kyle O'Reilly standing over Adam Cole, letting people know that this is not, this is far from over. Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly, their whole rivalry is no longer done. It's not nowhere close to being done. They always, these two men are one and one each. Again, I suspect NXT TakeOver 36. We're going to have a match between the two to end it all. I don't know what type of match, but that's all for NXT to figure that out. Now on to AEW. AEW starts off with the big 10 on 10. Well, the big 10 people person uh, elimination match where championship uh, opportunities were on the line. The Dark Order going against the Elite. The Dark Order was Adam Page, Evil Uno, Stu Grayson, Alex Reynolds, and John Silver going against the Elites. Kenny Omega, Nick, and Mac Jackson, the Young Bucks, the Good Brothers, Doc Gallus, and Carl Anderson. You have the championship team of the Elite. Each member are holding some type of championship going against the Dark Order who are all holding no set of gold. If the Dark Order wins this elimination match, you would get Adam Page going against Kenny Omega and the Dark Order getting a tag team opportunities against the Young Bucks. But if the Dark Order were to lose to the Elite, you would have Adam Page relinquish his number one contenders match against Kenny Omega and the Dark Order would not get a tag team opportunity against the Young Bucks. In this match, you had eliminate. It was an elimination match, so it came down to Adam Page going against Kenny Omega and Nick Jackson. And in the end, Kenny Omega ends up cheating by hitting Adam Page with the All Elite Championship, the AEW World Title. Hit him with the belt. He thought he was going to get the win off of that. He didn't. So he hits Adam Page with two V triggers, and then gets him on top of his shoulder and hits him with the One Winged Angel. And gets the pinfall. So that eliminated Dark Order completely out of the match. And the last remaining survivors were Kenny Omega and Nick Jackson of the Elite. So the Elite beat the Dark Order. So now Adam Page has to relinquish his number one contender spot. And now he's basically dropped back down to, well, square space number one. Step number one. He has to rebuild himself back to the top to even get another championship opportunity. While the same thing with Dark Order. They have to relinquish their spot and they're back to the bottom. So now... The Dark Order is at the bottom, and Adam Page is at the bottom, while the Elite still keep their championships, and they don't have to face Dark Order no time soon. After this, we had Ricky Starr's championship celebration, and it was a crappy championship celebration, might I add. I didn't like the band, I didn't like none of that, but the main point of this wasn't for none of that, it was the main point was for Brian Cage to come out and basically just destroy the band uh, band members. You had two band members that got beat up by Brian Cage, and you had Ricky Starks running out of fear because he knows that Brian Cage is going after him and the whole team task for screwing him over. That was the whole thing for that. After this, we had FTR going against Santana and Ortiz, and FTR ends up beating Santana and Ortiz in a short match, which should have been longer and which go was going to be longer, but I'll tell you the reason why it didn't. Dax ends up hitting a brain buster onto Ortiz and got the pinfall one, two, three. This was calling an audible. This was calling it on the fly. Calling it on the fly is whenever something goes wrong and you have to hurry up and finish the match quick, that's exactly what happened. That's what's calling the audible. That's what's calling it on the fly. Cash ends up, he was supposed to jump off the top rope, 
but he falls off the top rope and he ends up like cutting his forearm pretty bad on one on um the top on the god 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 the top rope uh, steel post. The steel post was pointy. He had a pointy edge and his forearm slits that and his arm was gushing out. You see him walking towards the medical staff and you just see him holding his arm. You don't know what's going down. You just know that okay, this didn't go as was planned. And you see the camera people don't cut over to him, but they cut over to Dax hitting a superplex onto uh, Ortiz. And you hear Ortiz basically mouth off something to Dax. And I can basically say that Ortiz was calling an audible saying, hey, yo, we got to take this home and get done with this now. So they led to Dax hitting Ortiz with a brain buster and getting the win. After this, they panned over and showed the camera angle of da- of Cash getting his arm wrapped up and you see the blood like leaking on the floor and you could tell it okay he cut his arm cut his forearm pretty bad so you could tell that aew is going to fix this they're going to have like probably no more like pointy uh steel posts at the top and more or less they're going to have a run this back match of ftr santana and ortiz because ftr wasn't happy that this happened this way and santana and ortiz Definitely wasn't happy that this happened. And the fans weren't happy because even the fans online were like, ooh, he cut his arm, he cut his wrist pretty bad, and you could see it. And the fans were all worried about it. But the wrestlers and everybody else was like, man, this wasn't supposed to happen. This wasn't how we wanted to end the feud or anything like that. So you could tell that AEW is going to figure out a way whenever whenever Cash's forearm is good and they're ready to do it again. They're going to have this match somewhere down the line. So... Uh, fans have no worry. FTR and Santana Ortiz will have a re- run. Will do this match again. This will be another running back segment somewhere down the line. Believe this. After this, we had Tony Schiavone announced that AEW Rampage, AEW's second show, which will be debuting somewhere in August, will be debuting. Well, not debuting. Will be going to Chicago on August the twentieth, and. This gave a big CM Punk chant because last week I didn't want to speculate it because it was rumored that CM Punk and both Daniel Bryan, yes, Daniel Bryan from WWE fame, has signed with AEW. Nothing official has been leaked out or said, but it has been rumored that those two have signed with AEW. So with Tony Schiavone making the announcement that AEW Rampage will be going to Chicago on August the 20th, that got a big CM Punk chant, and which led to a backstage segment of Darby Allen and Sting being interviewed by Alex Marvez. And Darby Allen even pours a little bit of gas onto the fire, and he says, "Everybody wants to be in AEW. This is the best place where people prove that they're actually the best, even if you're the best in the world." And that got the fans chanting loud. That made them really pop huge. And if you don't know the message of the best in the world, CM Punk in WWE, whenever he really started getting hot in his 2011, whenever he was supposed to leave the WWE, he started calling himself the best in the world. So that moniker, that nickname really stuck with CM Punk. So whenever Darby Allin said, even if you're the best in the world, that really like put the stamp on it like, okay, this is some merit to CM Punk might be coming to WWE. Not WWE, but AEW. But then again, there might be some merit to Daniel Bryan coming to AEW because everybody calls Daniel Bryan one of the best technical wrestlers or just the best wrestler in the world today right now. So we'll just have to see whenever August 20th Rampage rolls around if any of those two uh, big old 
rumors and speculations have been even remotely true. I'm holding out because CM Punk hasn't been in the ring for legit almost a decade. He left in 2014. So we'll just have to see about that whenever that time comes around. But we'll just see. After this, we had the IWGP United States Championship match of Lance Archer beating Hikaleo by pinfall whenever he hits him with the blackout. Hikaleo was managed by his father, King Haku, in this match. Haku got a little shots off on Lance Archer in this match, but that still did nothing and led Lance Archer still to keep his IWGP United States title. After this, you had a video package of Hiroshi Tanahashi, the ace of New Japan Wrestling, letting the crowd know that he will be the next person challenging Lance Archer for the IWGP United States Heavyweight title. Lance Archer will be flying over to Japan whenever New Japan has their King of Pro Wrestling event, and that will be the next time Lance Archer will be defending that IWGP United States Heavyweight title. So that was just giving Lance Archer his next opponent and letting him know who's next for him. After this, we had a segment backstage of Cody about to be interviewed, but Malachi Black attacked Cody, and they start brawling from backstage up the uh, ramp backstage to the stage, actually, in front of the crowd. And those two were brawling and brawling until Malachi Black got the upper hand whenever he hit a running knee strike to Cody in the face and laid out Cody. Malachi was about to do mu- do more things to him, but he just kneeled in front of Cody and said that, do you hear the fans? Because at this point, the fans were cheering as those two men were uh, going against one another, but they were more cheering for Malachi Black and booing Cody. And he lets out the phrase, do you hear that? Welcome to the house of Black. Because the fans were cheering for Malachi Black. Then you have backstage officials and referees and security guards separating Malachi Black from a falling Cody, and they were trying to make sure that Malachi Black wasn't going to do anything else to Cody. Malachi Black stepped away, hands in the air, and just watched as they were mess, uh, trying to lift Cody up off the ground. But then Malachi Black walked over to one of the enhancement guys, one of the uh, guys that were separating him, and he just gave him a spinning kick to the face and laid out that guy to let everybody know that, hey, yo, Malachi Black is still dangerous. He is that guy. There is nothing that he won't do to prove that he is the most dangerous guy, basically, in AEW. And this is the setup their match next week at AEW Homecoming in Jacksonville, Florida, of Cody going against Malachi Black. This will be Malachi Black's first match in AEW. This was just another hype up, just to, let, just to get people's mouth salivating for that match next week. After this, we have the six-man match of Jurassic Express and Christian Cage going against Angelico and Private Party. Jurassic Express and Killer Christian Cage beats Angelico and Private Party by pinfall whenever uh, Luchasaurus choke slammed one of the members from Private Party and then tagged in Christian Cage so Christian can hit a frog splash and get the pin. After this, though, as Jurassic Express and Christian were cheering, Christian went on the outside and he was slapping fan, slapping uh, hands of fans. And then from behind, he got hit by the Blade, who was wearing brass knuckles. And the Blade started running up the ramp. And then on the ramp was Matt Hardy cheering and cheesing it up and just smiling. And you had the Blade telling the audience that nobody believes their hands on Matt Hardy. Nobody. This man's a legend. This man is a king. 
and just starts listing off a whole heap of monikers for Matt Hardy. So this will now carry on the feud of Matt Hardy and his Hardy uh, family organization going against Christian Cage. So I don't know where they're, how much longer this is going to be, but we shall see how long it is whenever they do it. I'm not too thrilled with the feud. I wish the feud would just get done so Christian can move on to Kenny Omega, but we'll see how long AEW wants to play this out. The next match was Thunder Rosa beating Julia Hart by pinfall. This was a nice little quick match, a nice little quick one-on-one match for the women. Uh, Thunder Rosa hit Julia Hart with the Fire Thunder Driver, which is basically a modified Mishinoku driver, and got the pinfall. And then after this, in your main event, we had Chris Jericho going against Nick Gage in a no-holds-barred-anything-goes match. And yet again, MJF was on commentary for this. This match was the second labor of Jericho, and Jericho turned himself into his alternate ego, the Painmaker. The Painmaker does anything and everything he can do to get the win over his opponent. That means if it has to mean stabbing him in the eye or jabbing him with anything he can find, beating him up with steel chairs. That's basically the Painmaker. He'll do anything and everything brutal to win. And this was right all up Nick Gage's alley. He pulls out. The first thing Nick Gage does in this match he pulls out a pizza cutter. You heard me right. A pizza cutter. And he slates Chris Jericho's tricep with it. And you could tell that he you could tell that he slid him because Jericho was holding his forearm and then he like lowers the hand down so the camera can see the blood on his forearm. And that's legit blood. He got slit in the forearm by the pizza cutter. So you in this match, I'm just gonna give you an overview. In this match, you had a pizza cutter, you had multiple light tubes, you had a glass, a steel pane of glass, which I didn't know AEW would even pull that out because you'll get light tubes and panes of glass all on the independent circuit, not on a major televised, like, but not on major television. You wouldn't get this. WWE wouldn't have done this. WWE doesn't do this. This is why AEW literally is the alternative of WWE. They'll give you some things that you have never seen on main live television, and this desperate, this is definitely one of them. You had Jericho getting hit with light tubes. He got stabbed with light tubes, literally in the forehead. You had Jericho hitting a Huna Karana off the top rope, on uh, and have Nick Gage like breaking that steel, that that steel, but just that solid sheet of pain glass, just breaking it. Now you have glass all over. The ring, and I mean, in the end, you had Jericho beating Nick Gage by hitting him with a Judas effect and getting a one, two, three. Jericho's all bloody up. Nick Gage isn't as bloody up, but Jericho is really just a bloody mess all up in the face and in the forearms. Then you have MJF get off a of commentary, grab the microphone, and he tells Chris Jericho that listen, you survive this next match, but your next labor of Jericho's match will be. That the condition is you have to win by performing a maneuver off the top rope to win your match. This is next week. That's his match next week. What he has to do to win next week. And his opponent is somebody that he has faced in WCW. A poor guy that he has had a long storied history with. And the guy that he basically made fun of two years ago on AEW Dynamite. And he rolled the footage of Jericho being the AEW champion at this time, and he was had in the ring with MJF. And he talked about how 
MJF's parents got frisky when he was when they were watching Chris Jericho beat up Hooven to Guerrera. And MJF said, who is Hoovy? And Jericho taps Jer MJF on the arm and says, Google it. MJF lets him know. I Googled it. In that next week, you will be going against Hooven to Guerrera. And mind you, Chris Jericho has to beat Hooven to by performing a move off the top rope. While Hooven to Guerrero's finishing maneuver is a 450 off the top rope. Just let that be known. Hooven to Guerrero is a luchador. He's able to, he's a high flyer. He's able to perform moves off the top rope, off the apron, onto the ring, and off the apron into outside of the ring. He's just a luchador. So that is the next labor of Jericho. Chris Jericho going against Hooven to Guerrero next week. Jericho has to perform a top rope maneuver to beat Hooven to Guerrero. That was your main event at AEW. Now on to Impact Wrestling. They open up Impact Wrestling with Gallows and Anderson going against Jay White and Chris Bay. Gallows and Anderson beat Chris White, I mean uh, Chris Bay and Jay White by pinfall whenever the Good Brothers hit Chris Bay with a magic killer and got the one, two, three. Then it goes to a backstage segment. You have Jay White pulling off his wrist tape. And you have Chris Bay talking to the camera saying that he's sad that he let Jay White down. He's not he's not a failure in that he takes responsibility for losing the match. And he thought as his first match as a member of Bullet Club, this wasn't the way that it was supposed to go. Then Jay White has to stop Chris Bay there and say, hold up. You think that you're a part of Bullet Club? And he has to let Bay know that, listen, we at Bullet Club, we have high standards for our our wrestlers and what I saw out there, that wasn't good enough. That wasn't Bullet Club material. And he tells Bay, you know what? You want to make this up to me? I can tell you. I let me let me show you how you make this up. Follow me. And this leads to later in the night. After this match, after that, you had Taylor Wilde beating Caleb with a K by pinfall. This was an intergender match when Taylor Wilde hit Caleb with a K with a bridging. German suplex and got the one, two, three. After this, we had an eight-man tag team match of David Finley, Juice Robinson, Falaba, and No Way beating the team of Ace Austin, Rohit Raju, Shira, and Madman Fulton by pinfall whenever David Finley had a brain buster to the knee on Rohit Raju. Now, after this match, you had a backstage promo of Juice Robinson and David Finley getting attacked by Jay White and Chris Bay. So this is what Jay White meant by, this is how you make up for losing in the Bullet Club. This is how you make it up to me. They attacked both David Finley and Juice Robinson. Jay White was going after David Finley again because David Finley is going to be challenging Jay White on their Los Angeles show uh, resurgence on August the 14th for the never openweight championship that Jay White holds in while Chris Bay was fighting Juice Robinson. And they left Juice Robinson and David Finley on the floor and they just walked away. That's how that segment ended. After this, we had an in-ring promo of Kenny Omega, Don Callis, and the Good Brothers. And it was majority Callis singing the praises of Kenny Omega, talking about how he's the greatest world champion since Ric Flair. He's even better than Ric Flair because Kenny Omega has been going to country after country after country, defending his titles and just keep on being a successful champion, much more than what Ric Flair has ever done. And he lets the fans know that 
Tommy Dreamer has set up a uh, number one contenders battle royal next week, and that the winner will be going against Kenny Omega at Impact Wrestling's next uh, pay per view. And he tells the fans that he it doesn't matter who's going to win. Kenny Omega is going to beat whoever wins that match and still be the god of professional wrestling. The lights go out and Sammy Callahan is on the entrance ramp and the lights pop, pop right back on. Sammy Callahan lets Kenny Omega know that Kenny Omega is just barely able to be around because Sammy Callahan didn't kill him at Slammiversary. Kenny Omega should be happy that Sammy didn't kill him at Slammiversary and that he's barely even able to even walk around as Impact Champion. Don Callis lets Sammy Callahan know that, listen, you can say whatever you want, but Kenny Omega is still the god of professional wrestling. He is still the Impact Champion in that you should be fired. You are a you are a piece of scum on the wrestling like wrestling landscape. Callahan shuts off Callis and tells him point blank, listen here. Next week, I'm going to win that number one contenders battle royal. And that next time he gets in the ring with Kenny, Kenny isn't going to be so lucky to walk out as your impact champion. Callahan also threatens that he's going to get in that ring and beat up all four of those guys. Callahan, Callis tells Sammy that, listen, there's four of us in this ring. You can't eat, you won't be able to even beat all of us up at the exact same time. And Callahan says, you're right. You don't know where I might come from. I might come from the parking lot when you guys are walking out to the parking lot to your cars. I might beat you up there. I might come out in the backstage. Shoot, I might even come from behind the uh, guardrails, which led me, as I'm watching this, like, from the guardrails, you're right here. You're right on the entrance ramp. What do you mean by the guardrails? But out from the guardrails was a guy coming in to beat up on both Gallows and Omega while Don Callis runs out of the ring. Sammy Callahan runs in the ring to help the guy out, and underneath the hood of the guy was Frankie Gazarian. Frankie Gazarian of AEW, he came to Impact Wrestling to take out Kenny Omega and the Good Brothers because, again, this still transitions over from AEW to Impact Wrestling. Frankie Gazarian has a problem with the Good Brothers and Kenny Omega because they helped out the Young Bucks to beat himself and Christopher Daniels in their last match as a tag team for SCU. So uh, Kazarian has made it his promise that he is going to try to beat up and tear down the elite as much as he can. So he's keeping his words with his promise. And next week we will have a six man match of the good brothers and Kenny Omega going against Sammy Callahan and Frankie Kazarian and a partner of Tommy dreamers choosing, which the partner is, Eddie Edwards. So, Eddie Edwards will be teaming up with Sammy Callahan and Frankie Kazarian to go against the Good Brothers and Kenny Omega next week on AEW, not AEW, Impact Wrestling. After this, we had uh, Willie Mack and Rich Swan beating Violence by Design members Rhino and Diener by pinfall whenever Willie Mack hit Rhino with the stunner, then Rhino got hit with the 450 splash by Rich Swan. After this, we have the main event, Moose going against Chris Saban. Moose beats Chris Saban by hitting him with a spear. This was a good back-and-forth match between Moose and Chris Saban. After the match, however, Moose tries to throw out uh, Chris Saban to indicate that he has entered himself into the number one contender battle royal next week and show that he will be winning the battle royal. But when he threw over 
Chris Saban out of the ring. Chris Saban, Chris Saban held onto the ropes. He got on the top rope, and then he got on the top, uh, yeah, the top uh, turnbuckle, and jumped off and hit Moose with a diving crossbody. And Moose gets out of the ring, and then move, and then Chris Saban jumps out of the ring and hits a suicide dive onto Moose and starts punching him. And that's how Impact Wrestling ends the show. Chris Saban is on top of Moose, just with Moose laid down on the ground. And that's how they ended Impact Wrestling with Chris Saban standing on top of Moose on the entrance ramp. Now on to SmackDown. The first thing that happened on SmackDown was John Cena coming out to hype up the fans and hype up everybody in attendance. And his main point of being out there was to basically tell the fans why Roman Reigns truly did not accept his challenge, but accepted Finn Balor's challenge. Roman last week said that he didn't accept John Cena's challenge for SummerSlam because John Cena didn't change anything. He was still the same old guy, came up with the same entrance, the same look, just Everything about him was the same. He made no changes at all. John Cena picked that apart, and he said that Roman Reigns is basically a liar. He is afraid that he will get embarrassed at SummerSlam. He's not afraid because John Cena didn't change his look or anything. John Cena has stayed himself the exact same way for the past mm, 15 years. While, on the other hand, Roman had to change himself, just become this guy for who he is. And Cena had to let it be known that Roman is a liar. He's just afraid that he will be beaten at SummerSlam and be taught that he is not untouchable as he thinks he is. That was John Cena's whole main point of being out there. But in this whole tirade, Baron Corbin comes out. Now, as of late, Baron Corbin has come out and said that he's in dire needs because he has lost everything. He lost his crown. He's lost financial support. He willingly said that uh, he even had problems down in the men's section because he got hit with a, a toy like missile last week in the private areas. So make a long story short, Corbin came out there to ask John Cena for help. John Cena gave him a couple bucks out of his pocket and Corbin called John Cena a cheap tightwad because he only had that only had a little bit of money in his pocket and he's big Hollywood John. He said, I can be your stunt double for your next movie. John Cena told him, uh, I can't I can't do that. That's a reach. And Corbin just let off like a tantrum child instead of taking the money that John Cena did give him. So John Cena said, you know what? He told the fans, you know what? This is going to be a teachable moment. He's going to give Corbin some help. He's going to give Corbin help by giving him an attitude adjustment. And he gave him an attitude adjustment by giving him the AA. And John Cena then took back his money and walked off with his money whilst Corbin's in the ring laid out, and now he has nothing. After this was done, we had Rey Mysterio beating Jimmy Uso in a one-on-one match. It was a nice one-on-one match. Rey Mysterio was able to pull out some old tricks that we haven't seen in a while. Uh, basically, he did a spring, not a spring, but a outside of the ring uh, corkscrew splash onto Jimmy and Jay Uso on the outside of the ring. In the end, Ray ends up hitting Jimmy Uso with a crucifix pin, and Dominic did exactly what the Usos did to him last week. He put his feet on Rey Mysterio's back while the referee couldn't see and pulled and had leverage on Ray on top of Jimmy as the referee gave him the count one, two, three, and Ray got the pinfall. So now Rey Mysterio has beaten Jimmy Uso. So now the Mysterios have some momentum into whenever they get their 
championship rematch for the tag team titles. After this, we had Bianca Belair coming out for an in-ring promo. She came out there, and her main point was that she was so grateful and happy to just be champion. She's been champion for about 105 days, well, 110 days. And Carmilla comes out, and she asks basically for another championship opportunity. And Selena comes out and says that Carmella doesn't deserve another shot. This will be, if she does get another shot, this will be her third time losing to Bianca. So she asked for a shot and Bianca uh, agreed to it. Bianca said, you know what? I'm going to give you a shot. And as soon as she said that, Carmella hits Bianca from behind and Selena joins in. So now you got Selena and Carmella both beating up on Bianca Belair. And Bianca Belair's taking this beating for about a good 30 seconds. And then says, uh, Sasha Banks music hits. And Sasha comes out and she ends up saving Bianca Belair from more thrashing from Carmella and Selena. And they both hug. Well, at least Sasha hugs uh, Bianca. And Bianca was just startled by this. But she ends up, in return, hugging Bianca back. And they, not Bianca, but Sasha back. And they both start dancing in the ring. Later in the night, you would you would uh, get Adam Pearce and Sonya Deville letting people know that in the main event we will be getting Bianca Belair and Sasha Banks going against Carmella and Selena in the main event of SmackDown. So that will come happen. That will happen later. After this, we had Reginald defending his twenty four seven championship against Chad Gable. Reginald ends up beating Chad Gable by disqualification because whenever he hit uh, Gable with the flipping Sent flipping like senton splash or whatever he calls it. Um, Otis comes into the ring and grabs Reginald off of Gable, and Reginald ends up getting thrown out of the ring, but he ends up landing on his feet. And the announcer announces that Reginald has defeated Chad Gable by tw- uh, disqualification and he retains his 24 7 title. So it was a nice, quick little thing just to show off Reginald again being a uh, Certis Ole, former Certis Ole performer, doing flips and everything else. That's what this match was all about. After this, we had the contract signing between Finn and Roman Reigns. The funny and interesting thing about this was that Roman Reigns told Finn, did you hear what John Cena said earlier? Finn shook his head like, yeah, I heard it. Roman told Finn that Cena thinks that I'm ducking him because uh, Finn's easy, an easy opponent. Finn is an easier challenge than John Cena. That is is what Cena thinks of you. That's what Roman's telling Finn. So now, Roman's trying to get into the head of Finn, but he ends up telling Finn, you know what, I the reason why I accepted your challenge is because you're hungry. I see it in your eyes. You didn't come back doing the same old stick that you had last time you were up on the main roster. No, you come back here being hungry. You're determined. You want to win championships, and I respect that. And he tells him, respectfully, I'm going to tell you this. If you sign this contract... I'm going to smash you and send you right back to NXT. So Roman ends up signing the contract. Finn grabs the microphone and says, Okay, well, if I go back to NXT, at least I'll be going back to NXT as the new Universal Champion. And before he can even sign the contract, Baron Corbin comes out of nowhere and beats up Finn Balor. He grabs Finn Balor from out of the ring, throws him outside of the ring, throws him into steel steps, and then he gets inside the ring and grabs the contract. He has a mark, he has a pen in hand and he's about to sign it and then you see John Cena come down the entrance ramp and run into the ring and throw 
Corbin into the steel post. And now John Cena has the contract in hand. And Cena grabs a big old blue Sharpie out of his back pocket. And he signs his name on the contract. And you have commentators uh, questioning, is this even legal? Because Finn Balor's name is supposed to be on the contract. Finn Balor's name's on the contract in print. But you need the signature for how a contract signing usually goes for the competitor to acknowledge that he is going to be at this location. Cena ends up writing his name on it, signature, and then you have Cena walking away with the contract, but he gives the contract to Adam Pearce and Sonya Deville. And Roman Reigns is just sitting in the chair. He doesn't get up throughout all this commotion. He doesn't get up to stop the contract from being signed. He doesn't do anything. He just sits there, and he's just frustrated. And Paul Heyman is just looking at this whole thing like in astonished. And he's like mouthing off something to Roman and you just see Roman just constantly being furious now knowing that he might have the possibility to face John Cena at SummerSlam after turning down his challenge. Next thing you see is Paul Heyman talking to both Adam Pearce and Selena Deville backstage and he tells them, you guys can't seriously like really take this serious, can you? Adam Pearce says Cena's name's on the Cena's name's signature on the contract. Paul Heyman has to tell him, yeah, but it's underneath that, in print, is Finn Balor's name. That can't be legally binding. Nobody, you you can't seriously accept that as a thing. And Adam Pearce straight up tell Paul, point blank, Cena's name is signed on there. Roman Reigns' name is signed on there. For me, that's good enough. At SummerSlam, it will be John Cena going against Roman Reigns for the Universal title. And now, as I'm looking at this, I thought, okay, we're going to get Finn Balor, some way, somehow, either next week or even at SummerSlam. If it's next week, I see Finn Balor going against John Cena for the number one contendership to go against Roman Reigns at SummerSlam. If that decides to happen. If that doesn't happen next week, I promise you this. I see Finn Balor screwing John Cena at SummerSlam and allowing Roman Reigns to retain his universal title because this is not fair for Finn Balor to have getting his championship opportunity get yet again, not even yet again, but just, no, yet again, took it away from him, and I say yet again, because whenever he won his universal title, and he was the first man to win a universal title in 2016, he ended up having to relinquish it the next day, because his shoulder popped out of his socket, and all these years later, he never got a legit championship rematch, he had to win a match to go against Brock Lesnar at the 2019 Royal Rumble, so Finn Balor never got his designated one-on-one championship opportunity that was really requested of him in in any contract whenever you're a former champion you automatically get a championship opportunity back he never really got that he always had to go and fight somebody just to even get an opportunity at any championship so he got screwed out of this so if he does not face John Cena next week on SmackDown I guarantee you I promise you he will be screwing John Cena at SummerSlam to have Roman Reigns to retain that universal title Guarantee it. After this, we had a six-man tag team match. The team of Cesaro, Nakamura, and Big E beat the team of Apollo Crews, Dolph Ziggler, and Robert Roode. When Nakamura kinshasa Apollo Crews and got the 1-2-3 victory. It was a nice, fun little six-man tag team match. After this, we had Edge coming out, and he was supposed to like cut a promo in it, cut a promo in the ring, but the they go to commercial break. And when they come back from commercial break, we see Seth Rollins in the ring and his music is playing and Seth Rollins just looked so intense and like crazed out. And they show you the footage whenever commercial will happen during commercial break. And Seth Rollins 
blasted Edge from behind. He starts attacking Edge, and he ends up hitting Edge with a television camera and knocks Edge completely out, and Edge has to be escorted out of the arena. Rollins gets on the microphone and tells the people that Edge gets exactly what he deserves. He is getting at Edge because he took his championship opportunity away from him. He played the footage back of four weeks ago whenever Seth Rollins was in the locker room and he was talking to Adam Pearce and Sonya Deville and saying that he should be next in line to face Roman Reigns and that he told him that he's next in line, but then it showed the Edge walking up and talking to Pierce and Deville saying that he got Roman and there's he's not asking, he's demanding, and then they gave him the championship opportunity at Money in the Bank. So Rollins is basically getting at Edge because he took his championship opportunity away from him that he should have had against Roman at Money in the Bank. This is all that is stemming from. So Rollins attacked Edge, and he's doing all this because of that one particular moment. That's all this whole segment was about, to explain why Rollins is attacking Edge. After this, we had our main event, Bianca Belair and Sasha Banks going against Carmella and Selena. Bianca Belair and Sasha Banks beats Carmella and Selena Vega by submission whenever Sasha Banks locked in the bank statement on Carmella. After the match, you had the ch- you had the champion Bianca and Sasha both hugging each other, dancing and just celebrating and the fans are just loving it and cheering it up and they raise each other's hands and then at that slight moment you had Bianca Belair get backstabbed by Sasha Banks, literally. Sasha Banks hit Bianca Belair with a backstabber and then locked her in the bank statement. And then it got to a point that Bianca was tapping out and then Sasha still didn't let go until she was ready to let go. And she let goes of it. She grabs the title and now is being let be known that Sasha is coming after Bianca for the SmackDown Women's title. And then she locks the bank statement on Bianca again. And she tells Bianca that I don't forget. I don't forget. I'm the boss. You better remember that I'm the boss around here. And that's how SmackDown goes off with Bianca being in the bank statement while Sasha Banks is just holding on to the bank statement and just adding and applying pressure onto it. Now, that has been the wrestling highlights of the week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW, and Impact Wrestling. But I want to make some corrections on information that I told you guys earlier. Tanahashi will not be facing Lance Archer at King of Pro Wrestling in Japan. He will be going against Lance Archer at Resurgence in Los Angeles on August the 14th. So, again, not King of Pro Wrestling at Resurgence. He will be going against Lance Archer at Resurgence on August. August the 14th in Los Angeles. Another thing I want to correct, Natalia will be out for weeks for ankle injury. She is not sustained bad because I looked at her Twitter and she uh, said that her surgeon said that she's an anomaly. So that basically means that she's not having like, she doesn't need to be out for like months on end. She'll probably be out for a good, probably about a month or a month or a couple weeks, but it's not as a bad ankle injury as we all suspected. So, yeah, that's that. And Nikki Ash will be facing Charlotte Flair in a no holds barred match on Monday Night Raw. And Goldberg will be coming to Monday Night Raw this following week to basically challenge Bobby Lashley again and probably address the fans also in the process. Now that that has been taken out of the way, gotten and taken out of the way, I want to explain something why I think AEW does a better job at long term storytelling than WWE. 
as I mentioned already, already in the pro- program, MJF talked about uh, rolling footage of him and Chris Jericho and Jericho talking about Hoover to Guerrero and MGF saying that he doesn't know who Hoovy. Okay, I don't need to go through the whole process here. And MGF is now bringing in Hooventude. So this was about a year ago. No, no, two years ago. He said this, this one clip. WWE doesn't usually do long-term storytelling. The last time they've been doing it, the last time, and the major time that they actually did long-term storytelling is with The Fiend character. And The Fiend hasn't been on WWE television for a long time since Mania, and that, in WWE time, and even in professional wrestling time, that's a long time, because we're about to hit their second biggest pay-per-view, SummerSlam, so so Bray Wyatt hasn't been on WWE television at all since April, it's about to be four months now, that's literally one-third of the year that he hasn't been on WWE television, his programming, The Fiend was the last time WWE actually did, like, big, long-term storytelling, AEW, even though they've only been around for two years, it seems like they have a better grasp on how to do long-term storytelling than WWE. Another key example that I'll give you, and this requires, and this goes back to anytime Kenny Omega is on the microphone and Don Callis is on the microphone, and they talk about nobody has kicked out of the one-winged angel. Excalibur likes to mention how there's always one guy that kicks out of the one-wing angel. And since the open door has been unlocked, the forbidden door has been unlocked, you can see probably a Kota Ibushi coming to AEW to challenge Kenny Omega or do something with Kenny Omega now shock the fans. AEW just has a better grasp on how to do storytelling. I give them that than WWE. WWE should know how to do this, and but, but here's a caveat here. WWE, the main roster, don't know how to do it as well, but NXT knows how to do this. NXT knows how to plant the seeds. They know how to let the seeds grow organically. They know how to change on the fly when they need to change on the fly. Triple H, a former professional wrestler, knows how to change on the fly. That's why, that's why NXT is... Still, the golden goose egg for WWE. The only thing is, WWE likes, and I'm not going to say Vince all the time, because Vince has the last key saying in things, but certain writers might not understand how to work things in WWE. WWE, the main roster, the talent writers, need to go and talk to Triple H and circumvent this stuff through Triple H to let them know, hey, yo, we're going to do this with this guy. Do we think we need to switch something up, or do you think we're on the right path here to keep that same aura that you have given them in NXT, and that the fans are accustomed to seeing this character in, a.k.a. a Karrion Cross or a.k.a. a Keith Lee? Just saying, mind you. WWE would do better with that if they would talk to Triple H before bringing up a NXT guy that needs to be on the main roster, or deserves to be on the main roster, if you will. That's something that needs to happen. AEW doesn't have a developmental thing. They have, they just sign guys. You get put on either their YouTube show, AEW Dark, or their other YouTube show, AEW Dark Elevation, where you get to hone your craft a little bit more before you hit the actual broadcast of AEW Dynamite on TNT, or even their secondary show, which will be debuting soon in August, AEW Rampage. 
those are the AEW's two big babies. But those two other babies, the AEW Dark and Dark Elevation, those are YouTube where people get to hone their craft more. AEW does well because they even do long-term storytelling on their AEW Dark and AEW Dark Elevation shows where you can have a wrestler doing a vlog and they'll play the vlog clip on these Dark Elevation or Dark shows and they'll just extend that storyline from the vlog to the actual show on YouTube. So again, AEW does well at this and WWE does not. WWE has a whole talent whole roster full of talent that could do things on Twitter and bring things from Twitter onto the, their television program. The last time they did this, again, was in NXT. The last time was this was like, in my recollection, was uh, anytime Velveteen Dream had a feud with anybody. He was the king of this. He knew how to manipulate the analytics and make everything benefit him in this rivalry that he was in in NXT. NXT does a great job at storytelling and long-term storytelling what the main roster does not. So my better process of this is this. WWE doesn't do great storytelling. The only great storytelling that they're doing right now, and I'll say this right now, period. I don't care whoever likes it or not. Roman Reigns is great storytelling because he controls that narrative. And if he doesn't, him and Paul Heyman and the certain select writers that they do have for that storyline, know how to do it well. Uh, Seth Rollins and Edge. Edge is not too keen on story storyline writers that much, but he'll make do with what he got to make do. And him and Seth Rollins' story is not that hard to follow. They have previous backstory to deal with. Though that's a good storyline to do. Uh, mm, I mean, we can see how the Sasha Banks and Bianca story goes. I hope not a lot of talking, just a lot of more wrestling. That's all they need to do, and you got and you got money on your hands right there. Printable money. On Raw, mm, AJ Styles, Omos, and Randy and Riddle. I can see that being a good story, because they're gonna great get a good tag team match out of SummerSlam. Uh I don't like Lashley and Goldberg. I don't like it because Goldberg doesn't need to be in this main event slot. I don't, so I'm not throwing that in there. And that's it. You only got four good storylines that's going out of that whole WWE, the main roster. A Raw being three hours, they only got one good storyline. And SmackDown being straight up two hours, I gave you three storylines out of that. That was good. Think about that. I just gave you one good storyline out of Raw for three hours. And I just gave you three good storylines for SmackDown being two hours. You see the difference there? And what I said, Roman and Paul controlling their storyline and their selective creative writers that they have that they could actually work with. Mm. Edge. And Seth Rollins creating their story, holding their storyline with Edge and a certain select writer that he chooses. And him and Seth Rollins have some story, previous back history that can carry that on. Hmm. And Bianca Belair and Sasha Banks, that has printable money because they already wrestled at WrestleMania in the main event on night one. And you can carry that on. Hmm. While Randy Orton... Matt Riddle, AJ Styles and Omos, AJ being a good performer, R Randy being a good performer, Riddle being a good performer and great character, and Omos, he's still learning, but he plays his role perfectly. That's the only good story on Raw. Well, I gave you three good stories on SmackDown. You see how different it is? 
That should show you. That should be different. It should be literally having more numbers greater on Raw than it is on SmackDown. While AEW, they are laying out storyline on top of storyline on top of storyline. You got the Kenny Omega storyline with Adam Page, which is now being put on a halt because Adam Page just lost to Kenny Omega in the championship uh, eliminator for the... For, he just lost his spot because the elimination match that they just had, you got Lance Archer in the whole New Japan deal. Now you got John Moxley tell, talking about... Uh, Contracts being sent over to people in New Japan for a list of people that he wants to fight and whoever comes over will come over and he talked about that on AEW Dynamite. You got Chris Jericho and MJF having their good storyline right now. You got the story uh, line of Miro just being the redeemer and he's defending that TNT title and anybody that tries to come and Greg get him will be destroyed. You got the storyline of Ricky Starks and Team Taz going against Brian Cage right now, you got so many storylines in AEW, and also you got the storyline of Christian Cage and Matt Hardy, which are one that I really don't care about really that much, but still, it's still a storyline for nostalgia. I'm just saying that these are all storylines that you can just grab and just hold on to yourself. AEW got mad storylines all day throughout the AEW Dynamite program, while that will actually make sense and gravitate that you'll gravitate to while Raw, not really that much. And the storylines for Raw is Nikki Ash with the women's title. I mean, Nikki is a great performer and a nice girl, but uh, the story ain't doing well. I would have loved for her to blast Char Charlotte after she got done with the match. I would have loved to. If Nikki Ash starts beating up on Charlotte this week, this upcoming week on Raw, I would love to see it because personally, I want to see the women's uh division on raw getting shooken up because nxt has one of the greatest uh women's roster in the world raw has raw and wwe as a whole has a great women's division they just be screwing it up because they don't know what they're doing from time to time on the main roster they have a slight like hope spot in like okay, we have this person that we want to go with and we can put all our eggs in the basket for this person. And at times, they really don't. They just screw it up. So, again, WWE as a whole, on the main roster women's side, eh. On the main roster side, eh. But on NXT, women roster, great. Plethora of talent. They can do what they got to do with it. Still to this day, they're one of the greatest uh, women's talents on the world, in the world, period. But getting to my point, AEW with long-term storytelling is great. They are able to build upon storyline for years and years. Matter of fact, Kenny Omega and Adam Page, their storyline has been building straight up for mm, a whole year. Matter of fact, no, two years since the beginning of AEW whenever Adam Page wanted to split away from the Elite. And he did that, and then it drifted on to last year when him and Kenny Omega won the tag titles, and they had to go against the Bucks in the beginning of last year, 2020, at Revolution. And they had one of the greatest tag team matches, though, of 2020, when Kenny Omega and Adam Page were the tag team champions going against the Young Bucks. So again, the that that rivalry, that storyline of Kenny Omega and, and Adam Page in the Elite, or whatever you want to call it, has been going on for the past two years. Anyway... To conclude, what I'm saying is here is AEW, if you want to watch for storytelling, storytelling, professional wrestling, 
uh, anything that you want. Sometimes even some comedy here and there because Orange Cassidy. It's good. Professional wrestling is good. It gives you a, a good smorgasbord of whatever you want in there. While WWE storytelling, you're going to get it majority on SmackDown. Professional wrestling, good professional wrestling, a lot on SmackDown. And certain people on Raw. AJ Styles, Lashley, uh, Randy Orton whenever he's there. Uh, Matt Riddle, John Morrison, Ricochet, whenever they actually allow Ricochet to be Ricochet. Uh, and certain other folks, but majority good wrestling, SmackDown, you get certain people on Raw that know what they're doing. Um, NXT, I'll give it, NXT is the greatest professional wrestling thing that WWE has, literally. You got professional wrestling, you got storytelling, you got all these different things that NXT has. And NXT is basically a competitive of AEW in the storytelling compartment, storytelling, uh, department and professional wrestling department so to finally end what i'm saying here aew great nxt great they're on the same level to me wwe the main roster they have some work to do well smackdown really don't got that much work to do but raw definitely has work to do which all professional wrestling fans die hard uh professional wrestling fans know that raw has some desperate work to do and i want vince mcmahon to uh do something about that. You're going, but you're already back to live crowds. So don't make these live crowds have to sit through utter garbage. So far, you've been hitting out. So far, you're doing good because we're in the honeymoon stages. But once these honeymoon stages are done, I guarantee people will start to really boo and really show you what they really and truly care about and what they really truly don't care about. Anyway, that has ended Wrestling Highlights of the Week. I thank you for listening. Uh, check me out next Saturday when I give you another edition of Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And also check me out tomorrow on my Sunday edition where I talk about things of current events, wise in the news, or things that I personally just want to talk about and just give you my opinions on, which I will be giving you my opinions on anything anyway. On any and everything anyway tomorrow. Remember, this podcast is available on Podbeam, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And also remember to, if you want to follow me on Twitter, my Twitter handle is at My2Podcast. On Instagram, it's My2CentsPodcastG2. And my business email is My2CentsPod at Yahoo.com. Remember, it's not T-W-O or T-O-O. It's actually put the number two in all these social media and email emails. inquiries i thank you for listening have a great saturday and a great rest of your weekend i hope you check me out tomorrow for my sunday's edition of my two cents podcast and if you don't check me out next saturday when i give you more wrestling highlights of the week for next week and until then until you hear from the sweet voice again i have been your host g2 this has been wrestling highlights of the week i thank you goodbye now i'm tired you tired Uh jesus wept